Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I just actually got back um, from a trip to Israel, my, my, my first one in the last, uh, I guess it's been uh, over four years. So, so uh, it was so fantastic to be there. And um, uh, anyone who, who either hasn't been or, or hasn't been for a while, just, um, just definitely run, don't walk. Right, that's that. That would be the thing. Um, just tell you just two, two quick funny things that happened. Uh, one, um, my I I was at the apartment we were staying, and my wife uh, texted me, um, "Do you want me to pick you up a sandwich?" And I said yes. And she said, "What do you want on it?" And I wrote, "Tahina," and it came back. It, it was communicated to her as Tehillim, you know. So <laughs> that felt very. Tilm, of course, is Psalms, you know, as though I were requesting, you know, you know, why don't you uh, say number 121 over my shawarma, you know, may as well throw in 130, they always seem to go together, so, you know, I mean, so, anyway, another, another thing, sort of like on the other side of the spectrum of, of texting there, we were, we wanted to go, I was with the kids, and now, this, in this instance, my, my wife was actually in the apartment, and we were going to go to the Kotel, so I, I wanted to coordinate it with her, so I wrote down, I texted her, Kotel, question mark, and it came across as Motel, question mark, <laughs> so a very, very different exchange I had in mind, but anyway, that, 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 that was two things from Israel. I'll tell you another thing, another couple of things, uh, non-texting. One, I, I had some amazing food, and probably the, probably the, maybe the best thing that I had there was a, was a hunk of grapefruit. That was, I can't even describe it. It was like I was eating juice. Like, you don't eat juice, you drink juice, but I was eating juice. I mean, it was, it tasted unbelievable. Um... I'll tell you another thing. I during when we when we when we're saying Az Yashir, uh, which is sort of a, the song of celebration of crossing the Red Sea. By the way, uh, the Zohar says in the the Mishnah Brewer, which is you know sort of like our our, our contemporary um, book of Jewish law, our, the the contemporary iteration of the Shulchan Aruch, actually brings us um, that if you. If you have in mind when you're saying Az Yashir that you're actually crossing through the Red Sea, all your sins are forgiven. In other words, if you, if it's an experiential thing wow. um, that you're actually being sort of, I guess, miraculously saved, or I, I don't even know how to articulate it exactly, that this is a very spiritually cleansing uh, uh, experience. And so... Um, so I, I try to have that in mind that I'm that I'm crossing through. But when I was in Israel and and I was saying it, I had the distinct feeling that I was already on the other side. Wow! Which was like, it wasn't the sense of being sort of like between these two towering walls of water, but actually, it was already done. So that 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 was interesting. And I had another type of experience also, which was that, um, sort of. I, I came in for uh, a family wedding. My niece got married, and um, you know the wedding. I got back kind of late, I guess, or late for me, and I was pretty tired. And I was leaving very early the next morning, so so I had to be out of the hotel at I think something like 8 a.m. And there was a shul near the near the um, 
hotel, not so maybe a five minute cab ride. And I had heard just in passing that they had a 610 minion. And I wasn't even sure about that, you know? And I set my alarm clock for like 5.30 in the morning or something like that. I was really tired. And I was like, oh, am I gonna get out of bed for, I mean, I can just have it at the airport or I can, whatever it is. Like, am I gonna get out of bed for a maybe minion that I have to take a cab ride, which may or may not be going on? So this kind of debate was kind of raging in my very uh, asleep brain. And then here's what I thought. I thought, you know something? When, when I wake up in America, so to speak, it's sort of like a sergeant over my bed. You know, saying, wake up. And, 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 and you get up. I'm saying this was my conversation with myself. And you get up. Now there's a general standing over your bed. Like you're in the land of Israel. There's a general standing over you. Like, are you going to insult the general? And I got out of bed. And it turns out there was a minion. And I was so happy to have been able to claw my way out of bed that morning. But it was just a sense of, wow, you know, you're in a very elevated space. It's a very elevated space. Tell you another quick story. I was going through the Cardo. That's the um, sort of the little shopping area in the old city. And my daughter... Uh, brought me to one of her teachers has a, uh, who was teaching her um, has a, uh, an, an art gallery there. And, you know, it was kind of, it was not such a busy period. We were the only people in the, in the little store. But at some point, uh, a mother and her daughter walked in. So it was just us. There was no one else in the store. And she was talking to the, this woman was talking to the uh, gallery owner and the artist. It's his art. And... You know, after a few minutes of, and we were standing there, after a few minutes of uh, the two of them talking, he turns to this woman and says, what's your last name? And she says, Sachs, <laughs> which is my last name. <laughs> and I said to her, how do you spell that? And she said, S-A-C-K-S, the same way that I spell it. And it was just, he, and then the art gallery owner said, yeah, that's why I asked. I, I thought so, but I thought, it's just too weird that the only people in, in the wow. store right now all have the same name. And no one else walked in or out during our entire time in there. But it was just another one of these sort of like, you know, you know, we all thought that that was kind of remarkable. And yeah. the gallery owner just said, you know, Israel, you know, but that's, that is, you know, anyone who's been there has, has firsthand experienced many, many, many of these type of stories. Because there's so much, um, Hashkacha uh, Pratis, so much revealed provenance, how it's revealed how God is running the world in, in, in so many ways. And it says that, that God's eyes are on the land, you know, throughout, throughout the year. So, so there's a sense that when you're looking at the land, you're, you're at that moment looking at what God is looking at. So you're, so you're both looking at the same thing, you know. Of course, God's eyes are on all of us all the time, but it's just this, it's just this extra level. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about these extra levels. Um, you know, I remember, I remember uh, Reb Shlomo said one time, he, he compared this world to looking through a keyhole. And on the other side of the keyhole, there's someone holding a knife over, over someone. And... Uh, 
you, the person thinks um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a murder about to take place. And then what's the reality? It's actually there's a, a surgeon operating on someone and their life is being saved. And so that, that, I always thought that was such a beautifully uh, understandable um, sort of like visual because it shows you, it, it just reminds us what the, what the greater reality is, which is that we're only seeing a tiny piece of what's actually going on. Really a very small piece of what's actually going on. And, and I want to give sort of like maybe a less exalted uh, version of that, but it's to make, a, it's to make a, a slightly different point. So, you know, when I was growing up, I don't think they have this anymore, but one of the big sort of game shows was let's make a deal. Right? And, and so what they would have is, at a certain point, they would have this closed curtain. And behind the closed curtain, there was something. There was some prize. And it could be something like, something extraordinary, something less extraordinary. But, but there was a prize behind the curtain. And from the audience point of view, you couldn't, all you saw was the closed curtain. You didn't know what was behind the curtain, but there was some prize behind the curtain. Okay. And then, uh, you know, you would make a certain wager, and then they'd open up the curtain, and there was that thing which, which had been there all along. Okay? Now, the reason why I'm, I'm bringing that right now is because, to me, this is a very misunderstood and, I think, confusing parts of a lot of people's spiritual journey. Um, and I'm talking about very well-intentioned people, but hopefully this is a breakthrough idea, um, if we can institute this, which is that a lot of people... See, here, here, here's the point. Are you looking at life from in front of the curtain, or are you looking at life from behind the curtain? In other words, if you're looking at life from behind the curtain, you see that... What's there is there, that the, there's the reality of what's behind the curtain, right? But a lot of people live life and, and, and serve God with the point of view that they're in front of the curtain, and it's sort of like, well, the curtain being death, by the way, <laughs> if no one has figured that out yet. Um, and people are thinking, maybe there's something behind the curtain, maybe there's not something behind the curtain, you know, I have a lot of amuna, meaning faith. And then what's the rest of that thought? I have a lot of amuna. I hope there's something behind the curtain. Well, that doesn't sound very certain, does it? I have so much faith that I hope that there's something behind the curtain. As opposed to, I know that there's something behind the curtain. In other words, which point of view are you going through life with? Are you going through life with the understanding of being behind the curtain and saying, of course there's something there, and after this comes that, and that's, that's, just the, that's just the reality. Remember, looking through the keyhole, like a lot of reality is concealed from us, but it's not, therefore it might be there, or therefore it might not be there. It's 1,000% there, just because you can't perceive it doesn't mean it's not there, but living with the certainty that it's there. See, emuna, faith, is not like I'm rolling the dice, I'm making a guess, I hope it's right. Emuna is I know 
even if it's just on a soul level, maybe I can't prove it, but I know on a soul level that that's the reality. Hopefully, hopefully I'm, I'm communicating. Because, because God has built in a lot of question marks in terms of the fabric of reality in order to preserve our free choice. Because, you see, if we, if we absolutely saw, like, with every act of love that we did in this world, every act of kindness that we did in this world, that we shaped our eternity with an extra grand waterfall or, you know, like, you know, you know just series of masterpiece paintings or gardens or whatever it is, if we saw it, we would not have any free choice. Right? So, in other words, this idea of having this aspect of, of reality concealed from us is essential to preserving the entire reason for the creation of this world, which is, is that we have free choice. We don't know for sure. But within the context of having it concealed, we can operate with the knowledge that it's there because that's what our sages say. That's what our prophets say. That's what God says. It's all there. So the fact that it's concealed from us shouldn't be the last word in terms of our, our, of our relationship with that reality. We have to live with the reality of it. You know, I, I, I once heard something that I thought was very interesting, which is in terms of the next world, some people, some people it's, it's this world is more real than the next world. For other people, this world is very real, and the next world is very real. And for other people, the next world is actually more real than this world. Right? And so, that's, if it's there, and it is there, you just erase all the question marks. You don't, you don't have to live with the question marks just because it was part of God's plan that that should be concealed on some level. I hope I'm communicating. I hope I'm communicating. Because when you, when you understand that that road lies ahead, it changes your life in this world. And it's true. Okay. So with that in mind, with that as an introduction, with that as an introduction, I want to talk about this whole idea of chukas and tumas meis, the impurity of death, and the solution, the, 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 the solution to the impurity of death, how we get beyond that. And to bring you something from the Chidush Rim, which sort of blew my mind, just I thought it was just an amazing kind of construct. So, so let's just talk the, the very, very basics, just so we're all on the same page, and then we'll get into the, the deeper levels of it. So you, you have, um, you know, when, you, when, when we had, and God willing, we'll have again, fast, the, the, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, the Beis HaMikdash, there were certain ritual laws of purity, right? And sometimes they're translated as 
cleanliness and uncleanliness, and those are terrible English translations. Just get rid of those things. It's just a spiritual state. You know, sometimes I, I even saw in uh, otherwise a wonderful translation a word that if someone is in the state, they're contaminated. That, like, I, I couldn't believe what I was reading. Horrible, horrible. Not just get rid of all that. It has nothing to do with hygiene or anything like this. It's just a spiritual categorization. Okay? Now, one of these spiritual categorizations, and, and the, we use the word tame or tahor. Tahor would be ritually pure, and tame would be the other side of that. Okay. So, but again, just it's a spiritual status. That's it. Um, anyone who has come into contact, and of course you have to be in this ritually pure place to, to enter into the Beis HaMikdash, into the Holy Temple, and to bring an offering. So one of the things that can knock a person out of the box is if they've come into contact with a dead person. That means, now, but, but what's interesting about that is that you don't have to have directly touched a dead person. You can have touched someone who have touched someone who touched someone, touched someone, going back hundreds of years. Because the, the sort of, the compellingness of this type of impurity, and even on a psychological level, is such that there's no, it, it never weakens. Which means that, halakhically speaking, according to Jewish law, believe it or not, even if you never came into contact with a dead person in your life, the whole world has the status, spiritually speaking, of being tame mes, ritually pure through the contact of the dead. Because someone has touched someone who has touched someone over hundreds of years. Okay, so we all have this status. And by the way, while this might sound very sort of esoteric, and like, what does it have to do with me here and now, I can tell you that there's at least one very direct application where this is very true in our lives, which is that, and I just got back from Israel, you know, you go to the, to the Kotel, the Holy Wall, and behind the Holy Wall is, is where the Beis HaMikdash was. That's, that's also called Harabayas, or the Temple Mount. Now, one of the reasons why we don't go up there, this is sort of the normative halacha, some people will tell you, well, if you walk in a certain area and you go to the Mikvah, and they have all sorts of fancy ways to get you up there, which is, I'm, I'm not saying yes or no, I, I don't know enough, but normally speaking, most people don't go up there. Why don't they go up there? Because it's the base, it's where the base of Mikdash was. And we're Tame Mace. So this is something that's incredibly relevant to our lives even today, believe it or not. So we're waiting for the 10th Par Aduma. You know, it's a very symbolic number. And they say that, it, for instance, they say nine great songs of praise to God have been sung over, over history. And when Mashiach comes, we're going to sing the 10th, right? And there's a, there's, a, there's a parallel teaching that we've had nine paradumas. Now, that's the, that's the red heifer. And it's this, this very amazing, sort of like mysterious combination that we take the ashes of this completely red heifer and then we mix it with hyssop and a crimson string and and living water and you know like so so and and with that you sprinkle it on a person who's who who is in this place of being in contact with the dead um and then all of a sudden they become ritually cleansed now we don't have these ashes anymore we're waiting for 
the tenth red heifer, right? And then when that happens, we're going to, there's, history is going to hit a very interesting place because all of a sudden there's going to be no reason why we can't start building the base of Migdash, the third holy temple. You know, if, if that's how you learn it. Some people learn it that it's going to come down from heaven. So, I mean, there are different ways of doing it, but it's going to, it's going to be make a big noise in the world when that tenth red heifer shows up. And years ago, by the way, I read an article in the New Yorker that made a big impression on me. Probably the most advanced um, animal husbandry program, by the way, is at Texas A&M, okay? Because that's like cattle country. And, you know, there's some very religious people, Christians, but very, very religious people in that part of the world. And one of the premier cattle ranchers in the world is trying to breed a red heifer. And he has the most advanced animal husbandry science, like, at his disposal. So, anyway, there are people, I'm just telling you that, because believe it or not, there are people who are actively working on breeding a red heifer right now. You know, so... I'm sure in Israel too. There's a YouTube too. video you can see of YouTube Chabad people who believe they're, they get close. Yeah. So here's that's that's another thing, is that the there are I wouldn't say frequently because that would be an overstatement, but there are regularly red heifers born. But the twist here is that according to Jewish law. They have to still be all red, except with the exception of, I think, maybe a couple of hairs or something like that. I'm, I'm not exactly on top of it. Is that, Rabbi, is that two hairs? Is it two hairs? Yeah. Except for two hairs at the age of two. So, so in other words, they have to stay, like, I don't know, And sometimes children are born with blue eyes, but then a few months later, they become brown. So you see colors kind of change. And... Red heifers are born, but at the age of two, they're not still necessarily red. And, and, and this happened a few years ago. They announced to the world, they said a, another red heifer was just born. I remember this. It was just a few years ago. And I thought to myself, wow. I mean, my read on this, this is just me talking, was that God is giving us a chance. He's saying, okay, where are you guys going to be holding in two years? Like, the clock is ticking, right? Like, let's see. Here it is. This could be a red heifer. Like, obviously, God is going to decide whether or not that's a red heifer or not, right? But we, here it is. Here's your chance. Here's your lottery ticket. Like, you know? Well, not lottery ticket, but here's your whatever. So, but we didn't, I guess we didn't, we didn't merit it. We didn't merit it because it didn't stay, it didn't stay red. Um, anyway, so then the red heifer comes. And now, why the red heifer? So, so Rashi says something very deep, which is that the red heifer is coming to fix, like it's the mother coming to fix what the child soiled. Right? How like a mom will come and clean up after her, her child. So what's the child of the red heifer? The golden calf. Okay, so you have the sin of the golden calf, and now comes the ashes of the red heifer. But now let's just sort of like take a deep dive right now. Let's, let's, and now we're going to, I think we did our basic homework. Now let's kind of go deeper. You see, when we got the Torah at Mount Sinai, we, death disappeared from the world. 
death disappeared from the world. And then it says that it says that we reach the level, it says this in, in Gomorrah Shabbos, page 88, it says that we reach the level of Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve, before they ate from the tree of knowledge. Now remember, what happened when we ate from the tree of knowledge? It says it right in the Torah itself. We brought death into the world. And you know, just as an aside, but it's so resonant, I'll just throw it in quickly. Reb Shlomo talks about that when you know, see, the tree of knowledge brought death into the world. So this is getting a little homiletical, a little bit of a drusha, but it's very real, is that, you know something? When you quote-unquote know another person so well, it, it, brings death into the, it brings death into that relationship, right? You know what? Don't tell me that. I already know what you're going to say. I already know what you're going to do, right? You, you know them so well. The relationship is over, you know? So it's just... It's interesting that when we ate from the tree of knowledge, we brought death into the world. You know, that's... When, when I got married to my wife, my, my, my uh, Reb Shlomo, who married us, blessed us that we should always surprise each other. Right? Which it was a beautiful blessing because when you're surprising each other, it, it's a reminder to each other, oh, I, there's still more to discover. I don't quote-unquote know you. Right? And, it, 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 and this is true, by the way, with parents and children. It's true with friends. It's, it's true with, with everyone, right? Okay. But let's get back to this idea. So we ate from the tree of knowledge and we brought death into the world. Now, that means before we ate from the tree of knowledge, we were just on this immortal level. When we got the Torah at Mount Sinai, the Gomorrah itself says we reached the level of Adam and Chava before they ate from the tree of knowledge, which means that the Jewish people reascended back to this Gan Eden, Garden of Eden state with no death. Then comes the sin of the golden calf, and we fall, and death comes back into the world. Now we can finish the thought. On a deeper level, Rashi is saying the ashes of the red heifer are coming to fix the golden calf. What are the ashes of the red heifer again? Oh yeah, removing the impurity of death. Right? In other words, when we, when we brought death back into the world, we have to remove the impurity of death. And that's what the ashes of the red heifer are doing. Okay. Now I want to go deeper. So... So, so, so we have these, there are all these different paradigms for kind of like, uh, if you want to make a map of the universe, including this world and the spiritual worlds. So like one common one is the ten sphero. That's, that's one very wonderful uh, paradigm. Uh, another, another paradigm is what we t- call the um, the the shar chamishim, which is the the fifty gates. In in that instance, the number fifty is at the top, but they're all kind of talking about the same thing. They're just like you know in fancy books where you have these over these transparent overlays, right? They're all just different different ways of different approaches of understanding the existence. Okay. So in this, in this version, you've got 50 at the top. 
And it says that there are 50 gates of wisdom and that basically no one got to the 50th level except Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe gets there at the end of his lifetime. The end of his life he gets there. And it says that the ashes of the red heifer are this... And again, what, what do you mean when we're talking about the ashes of the red heifer? Well, on the most basic level, we're talking, we're talking about removing the impurity of death. But I left out a big part of the whole discussion about the ashes of the red heifer, which is that it's considered the greatest riddle of creation. It's all, all things that cannot be answered, all things that are paradoxical and mysterious, are contained within this idea of erasing the impurity of death. Why? Again, on a here and now level, because while it removed this sort of like very impossible thing to remove, the impurity of death, at the, at the same time, anyone who participated in the making of, this, of these waters which removed it became spiritually impure. So this is the great question. How could something which is the ultimate spiritual cleanser, make you spiritually impure. How does that work? And Shlomo Melech, King Solomon, who, when he became king, God said to him, just name me whatever you want, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grant you it. And he asked for wisdom. So it says he knew more than Avraham Avinu, and he knew more than Moshe Rabbeinu. And yet, he never understood it. He said, I, I, I know the reasons for 612 out of the 613 mitzvahs, except for that. Wow. So it is the ultimate riddle. And yet, Moshe Rabbeinu, by the way, does, does come to understand it at the end of his life. So he reaches this 50th level. So now here you have this very interesting correlation, which is the idea of, you see, when we receive the Torah, we count 49 days. And then on the 50th day, the Torah is given. But I always ask the same question, which is that if we're going to count at all, why aren't we counting to 50? Since that seems to be the day that the Torah is given, that should be the whole point of counting. Right? And yet, we count to 49. Why? Why don't we count to 50? Because 50 is the day of the Torah is given. 50 represents the infinite. You can't put a number on the infinite because it's beyond. The Torah is beyond, 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 beyond. So, this 50th level is the level where Moshe Rabbeinu understands the mystery of death. <laughs> the ultimate paradox. Okay. So now, so now listen to this. Remember we talked about, I started by, by talking about this whole idea of behind the curtain, right? Like, what's your point of view? Are you going through life just facing this closed curtain and, and using the word amuna, but really you could substitute the word hoping or guessing? Or are you living with the reality of standing behind the curtain, seeing that what's there is already there, and understanding that that's, that's in fact reality, and proceeding in that way? Now I'll tell you, and I told you that God deliberately built this question mark into the fabric of reality that we don't know in order to preserve our free choice. Now, I'll tell you something amazing. This is from the Chidush Aaron, okay? 
And it's in Hulin, I think it was page 45, maybe it was 46, B1, if you want to look it up in the, in the, in the, in the art scroll. So it's a very, very fancy anatomical name. See, they're talking in Hulin about, uh, among other things, about um, the anatomy of, of cows and animals because it's talking about how to, how to make food kosher and things like that, okay? So it gets into serious anatomy. And there's some wonderful, amazing diagrams. Anyway, you see, each, each, each of us, because we are in fact immortal, and when I say immortal, here's what I mean by that. There's life inside the body, and then there's life outside the body. In other words, life is a constant. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's just either in the body or it's outside the body. Life continues on. There's no break in life, okay? Now, where do you see evidence or where do you see a manifestation of our immortality in our physical beings right now? Because we have, we all have this point of immortality in us right now. Where is that? So, Judaism teaches that there's a part of the body called the loose bone. And the loose bone is in the back of the neck. And the loose bone is indestructible. So for most people, after 120, um, uh, people get buried. And then after a period of time, the bones turn to, to powder, whatever it is. And that's that. Except, except, there's one little bone which that doesn't happen with. And it says, the rabbis of the Gemara talk about how they would take sledgehammers and try to smash it, and nothing would smash this thing. And that when it comes time for the mass resurrection of the dead, which, by the way, is not a Kabbalistic teaching, that's normative Judaism 101, this we believe, we say, you know what, there's chairs, and then when you go to the circus, there are pony rides, and there's the mass resurrection of the dead. This is like all, like, 101. This is basic Jewish belief. This is not some cool Kabbalistic thought that I you know, heard on the bus from a guy with a long beard. This is like, we, this is Judaism, okay? <clears throat> By the way, if you have trouble with that idea, so it's from this indestructible part of our anatomy that, that God is going to recreate us and bring us back from the dead and reconstitute us, okay? Now, if you have trouble with that idea, the, the Gemara in, 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 in Sanhedrin uh, give some wonderful um, ways to just sort of like just sort of like reframe it or just try to understand it. And I think my favorite example that they give is that basically here's the question, and I would pose it to you. I would say, is it what's harder to make something out of nothing or to make something out of something? So I think if you you don't have to think very hard about that. It's not a trick question. I think if you gave it a moment's thought, you would say, it's harder to make something out of nothing than, it's, than it is to make something out of something. So when you, each one of us, were made, God made something out of nothing. Because before you existed, you never existed before. So God made something out of nothing. But once you're something, okay, maybe the person's dead at that point, but once they're something, it's very easy to make them something again. Because God already did the harder thing. God already made you something out of nothing, so to make you something out of something is, 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 is much less fantastic. Fantastical. You understand? 
In other words, the greater miracle, the more impossible to believe thing, has already been done. You can touch your arm, touch your head. You see, God made you out of nothing. So then God to reconstitute, reconstitute you or bring you back to life is actually m- much less much less difficult. Not that anything is hard for God, by the way. So that's just one way of just understanding um, what we call this 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 um, next stage of creation, this afterlife, after Mashiach comes. Okay. But let's keep on going. Because I want to get back to this idea of anatomy. So we have this, we have this part of our body, this point of immortality within us already. This is the loose bone. And by the way, just as a, a, again, as, a, as an aside, the Mishnah Brewer brings this. Again, this is our normative code of Jewish law in, in, in today, today's world. Brings it from the Zohar. That what if you want to grow your loose bone, isn't that interesting? Like the idea of strength, you can strengthen your loose bone. Like how would you do that? How, what, what exercise would you do? What, what, what would you do to strengthen your loose bone, which is this point of immortality within you? So, so the Mishnah Brewer brings from the Zohar that the food that you eat at a Malava Malka, which is that meal after Shabbos, feeds the loose bone. It's the only thing that feeds the loose bone, the food you eat after Shabbos. And, and why, why is it that the loose bone is impervious to death? Because, listen to this, when we ate from the tree of knowledge, which again brought death into the world, every part of the body received hana from it, benefit from it, except the luzma. So, so interesting. Okay, so you've got this indestructible, immortal aspect to all of us right now. Now I want to get back to what the Chidush Rim says from Gomorrah Chulun. Listen to this. In terms of the, uh, in terms of anatomy, this place in the back of your neck is very interesting, because, because you see, is it the bottom of the brain, right? Because I think it's I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly. I think it's called the medulla oblongata, right? That's the part of the brain that merges into the spine. Okay, so this point where the loose bone is, is it the bottom of the brain? Or is it the top of the spine? That area. What is it? And you know what the Gomorrah says? We're not sure. <laughs> like that area. I don't, they don't discuss the loose bone there in the Gomorrah. But that area where we say the loose bone is. It's a question mark. What is the jurisdiction of that? So what the... What, what's so fascinating is, is that this point, of, this point of immortality within us is behind the curtain. <laughs> In other words, it's not just that God concealed the afterlife to us, but the very point of immortality, anatomically speaking, in our own body, is located in an area in our body which is like, what is it? Is it this jurisdiction or is that your We don't know. In other words, that's, that's how much this, this concealment, this question mark, has been baked into reality. It's baked into our anatomy itself. Because that's where our immortality lies, in this area whose jurisdiction is up for grabs. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. 
Okay. And this is the level now, this is the level of 50. It's the top of the spine. So this is the this is the level that correlates with 50. Now, see, because when we get the Torah itself, we jump to the next sphere, right? That's the number 50, right? That's the 50th day. But also it's the 50th level because that's the, that's the level where Moshe Rabbeinu understands the mystery of the Paraduma. So there's this like leap that's going on, this quantum leap into like the next world or knowledge that lies beyond us. And how do you, how do you get to this place of understanding knowledge which lies beyond us? So that's the question. I'll say it again. How do we get to this place to know the unknowable? How do you know the unknowable? It sounds like that by, by when you phrase the question, it sounds like, well, you can't. Because if you're saying it's the unknowable, how do you know the unknowable? The answer is, you don't know the unknowable. But what if there was a way to know the unknowable? So there is a way to know the unknowable. Okay, so now I'm going to tell you what the fiduciary room says. Okay. But maybe maybe I'll just intro, in, in, introduce it for a second. You see, see, there's something very funny that goes on, which is God. God creates the world. God creates us. And one of the things that God creates is this thing called logic. So you have to understand that logic is completely made up. It's a total, it's a total invention of God's. It's just a creation of God's. God creates us, and he puts this software in our brains, which God wrote and created, and we'll call it logic. And that's what we're implanted with. And here's the hilarious part. People then use this logical, you know, program in their head to tell God that he doesn't exist <laughs> because it's illogical. <laughs> when logic itself is this total invention. And then we use logic to tell God what he is capable of and what he's not capable of. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's completely absurd. But from here you see that there's a ceiling with a C, there's a roof, so to speak, where the mind can, can go to that plant, place, but it can't go any further than that place. And that's called knowledge. Now, isn't it interesting that when we ate from the tree of knowledge, we brought death into the world? Because this type of knowledge, knowledge in general is very good, but there's a type of knowledge which symbolizes the ultimate capacity to understand, which is ultimately limited. See, let me give you a nice visual. Can a cup hold all the waters of the ocean? Can you fit the entire ocean into a cup? So how can you fit the total knowledge of God into your brain? It's impossible. You can't know the unknowable. Or can you? <laughs> We're still getting to that point. <laughs> or can you? Okay. 
So how do you get how do you get beyond what you're capable of knowing? And then the Khadusharim gives such a beautiful, simple answer. Do you know what the answer is? Amuna, faith. Faith is a rocket ship. Faith gives you wings. Faith is a nuclear power trampoline. Faith allows you to transcend that ceiling and to go beyond that ceiling and to know what we are actually incapable of knowing. What did I tell you before? I said, when did we remove death from the world? At what point? When we accepted the Torah at Mount Sinai. That's what brought us above the tree of knowledge. That's what brought us back to this place of the Garden of Eden, right? Beyond death, above it. And what words did we say when we accepted the Torah, which brought us to this incredibly elevated state? Nase v'nishma. Nase v'nishma means we will do and we will hear. See, that's completely beyond logic, because normally speaking, tell me what to do, and then I'm going to do it. What did we say? We're going to do it. Just tell us what it is. In other words, we, we had such faith in God's goodness that we didn't, we didn't ask for any explanations or any reasons why we should accept the Torah. We knew God is the one who loves us the most. God's the one who made the whole world. God wants this for us. God has a plan for us. We want it. Now just tell us the details. And by the way, the Nase is spelled with the letter Nun. It's actually a double Nun because it's Nase the Nishma, right? Two Nuns. Nun in Gematria is the number 50, right? In other words, this idea of faith, of Naseh v'nishma, allows us to leapfrog all the way up to the 50th level, or put another way, to know the unknowable. Because there are certain things, there are certain question marks, certain veils, certain curtains that God has deliberately, in order to preserve our free choice, built into this world. And if we just act on that dimensional, you know, floor plan, we just run into walls. We can't see behind the curtains. But with Amuna, with faith, we're able to reach levels that are not available to us otherwise. And we just rocket to the beyond. And then we get to live the open curtain life while we're still in this world. The curtain becomes open and there's no closed curtain anymore. We get to live daily life with the curtain open. (coughs) So now the Chedush applies this to the mitzvah of tefillin in a very remarkable way. Now remember, we said that this idea of knowledge, we ate from the tree of knowledge and brought death into the world. Knowledge, really, das, when you're talking about das, there's really two, two definitions for das that you'll see in holy books, okay? One is das as just pure knowledge, and the other is das referring to the historical event of eating from the das, from the tree of knowledge. So do you understand how those are two very different things? One is just a level of knowledge, like hachma and das, we'll go through that in a second. It's a type of knowing. Okay, it's just intellectual. 
The other is a historical event, which the shorthand for is Das. And that's referring to eating from the Eitzah Das, the tree of knowledge. Okay? So it's, you can confuse the two of them, but they're, they're separate ideas, both, both going by the word Das. Okay, so let's get to the idea of Hachma, Bina, and Das. These are the upper of the top three. Of, when we talk about the ten spherot, the highest three levels are Hachma, Bina, and Das. By the way, the, the first letters of that spell Chabad. That's where Chabad gets its name from. So this is talking about basically um, the process of knowing. So Hachma, often translated as wisdom, is that initial flash of insight. Bina, right below that, is fleshing that out. It's often translated as um, understanding. And then it's just sort of like, okay, you, you take that flash of insight and now you, 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 you know it better. You're holding on to it now. And then you have this idea of Das. Das is, is the joining of Hachman Bina and its integration, and now you can hold on to it. Now Das is integration. I'm now holding on to this this initial flash, which I now understand better, now I'm holding on to it. Integration, that's das. So the Chedusharim says the straps of the, tef- of the tefillin, for the head tefillin, you've got one strap, that's like Chachma, you've got another strap, that's like Bina, and then it gets tied together in a knot, that's das. Because when you have a knot, K-N-O-T, a knot, that makes something permanent, that's das. Okay? Now listen to this. By the way, that, that, interestingly, he doesn't say this, but I'm just saying this as an aside, that knot, which symbolizes das, is in the shape of a dalit, the letter dalit, which is the first letter of das. So that's, that's, that's interesting. Normally saying we say it stands for the dalit of shin dalit yud, of one of God's holiest names. Um, but anyway, it's just interesting that, that that knot is das, and it's in the shape of a dalit. Okay. So now listen to this. Where do we put that knot? This is where it gets super cool, guys. Where do we put that knot? On the back of the neck, on the loose bone. Now, let's make sure we're communicating here. This das stands for the tree of knowledge which brought death into the world so this das is on one level representing death. Where are we putting that knot? Against the point in our body which stands for immortality. In other words, we're rectifying this idea of death every single day, right? And then from that knot, two long straps come and spread that energy of the rectification of death throughout our entire bodies. It's, it's amazing what, what, what we have at our fingertips in terms of the mitzvahs that God is giving us. And again, if, if you're going to be like, well, why am I putting two black boxes on my body in the morning? Like, this is crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Or you can have, okay, that's great. And I'm, I'm, I'm making fun, but I'm also not making fun. Because rationally speaking, it's a fantastic question. Well, yeah, why am I doing that? But this is what I'm telling you. With Amuna, with faith, you fly beyond all these things and you're able to access like crazy levels, like, like 
taking death and supercharging it with immortality and spreading it to your body. I mean, who doesn't want that? But, but again, it takes a little nasevinishma. It takes a little leapfrogging over our intellectual limitations in order to be able to access this vast treasure chest which is available to us. So, so this is our lives. This is our lives. And, and we, get to, we get to make a choice. You see, I'll tell you something. It occurred to me a while back, and it just kind of stayed with me. Like, I'm kind of stunned by this thought, actually. Which is, and I don't think anyone has, no one thinks this, like, consciously. But I think if you dig, 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 this is at least one level that's going on. People question the existence of God because they say, if God made the whole world, he should at least be powerful enough to make himself known to me. <laughs> like, if God, what kind of God is that? He makes the whole world and he can't even make himself known to me? I have to believe in him? He's this all-powerful being, and yet I have to believe in him? There's something wrong with this God. <laughs> he must be weak. That's what it is. God's weak. I'm strong, but God's weak. So now I, the strong person, have to subjugate my life to this weak power? Why? Again, I don't think anyone consciously thinks this, but I think if you dig, 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 this type of thinking is going on. But, but here's what people miss. God who made the entire world. And who made us. <laughs> and who keeps us alive every single second. And who's extraordinarily patient. Chose by design to conceal himself. <laughs> On purpose. That was his idea. <laughs> that was his idea to run and create the entire world. And simultaneously to conceal himself. So that we would have the merit to be able to recognize him and choose him so that he could give us even more reward for doing so. That was his idea. So, people can decide to just throw up their hands and say, I'll never figure it out. That's one option. That's what I think most people do. And then they say, I'll just be a good person, and then they'll just, whatever, whatever that means, fill in the blank, whatever that means. But you see, what's, what's interesting is, is that everyone actually does believe in something. You know? Like if you go up to someone who says that, I don't, I don't believe in anything, I, I'm, a, I'm an atheist, right? Right, so I say, well, look, there's a homeless person over there. Do you, would you like, rob him or, you know, kill him? God forbid. And the person would go, no. Why would I ever do that? Well, I'm asking you, why would you, why would you not do that? Well, because that's the wrong thing to do. So then you believe in right and wrong. <laughs> 
yeah, so who decides what's right and wrong? I do. But, but there is a right and there is a wrong. Okay, so then, that's, so then they're already they're, they've got a belief system. Everyone's got a belief system. So in other words, everyone already believes. You already believe. The question is, okay, now what do you believe in? Well, I never really thought about it. Well, guess what? You don't have to, because God already gave us the Torah. God already opened up like all the storehouses of knowledge. I was sitting with someone years ago, one of my favorite people in the world, but anyway, and I, I realized that they were really trying to, they were not coming from this place of, of, of having a, a Torah education, or, and they were trying to figure out like everything on their own. <laughs> And this was a smart person. And I thought to myself, this is so sad and, and almost silly. We have thousands of years of revealed, amazing traditions and insights and amazing. And you're sitting here, like outside the world's greatest giant library in the world, and you're trying to kind of, why? So I'll just end with this, just this, this very simple thought, which is that we already believe. We already believe. You already believe. Even if you call yourself not a believer, you already believe. Not knowing was built into the world on purpose. Don't be shut down by that. Be empowered by it. Now for some questions and answers. I just wanted to know, when you said that the loose bone was the only part that wasn't fed. By the eight sadas. Why? Like, is there an understanding of that? Why? Because I think that God's plan for us was immortality from the outset. And so it would, it would be natural that there would be part of that would be built into our bodies and part of that would remain no matter what, since that was the initial plan for, for human beings. But initially, Hashem revealed himself again out of the everything, and it was like all revealed, so it was like us blowing at that. No, we still have free choice. We still had free choice. At that we had free choice in the Garden of Eden, absolutely. Absolutely, because how else would we be able to eat, to listen to the snake and, and, and everything like that, unless we had free choice? So we had free choice, yeah. It's just what happened was, after we ate from the, the tree of knowledge, that free choice went from this external place to this internal place. There was sort of an objective reality, and all of a sudden everything became shrouded and subjective. Like the way the Rambam says it, before we ate from the tree of knowledge, everything existed on the level of Emes and Sheker, meaning it's true or false, like it was black and white. But then after we ate, everything became on the level of good and bad, which is relativistic. Meaning to say what's good for me might not be good for you, and what's bad for you might not be bad for me. So all of a sudden everything becomes gray area. And now we saw everything from this place of a gray area, whereas before it was much clearer. But there was always free choice.